Hello, hello. You are listening to Why the World Needs You podcast, hosted by me, Benjamin Fritz. This podcast has been created to empower you to become the person you've always wanted to be. The journey is difficult and the challenges are many, but the rewards of being true to yourself are immeasurable. The objective of this show is to give you a safe, supportive space to learn, gain inspiration, and witness the true power and freedom that comes with becoming the person that you are meant to be. Why the World Needs You is a community of purpose-driven individuals who are passionate, gifted, and have a zest for life. They deeply desire to share their unique voice and gifts in order to make the world a better place for themselves and future generations. They are pulled to a different way of living and a higher purpose, while remaining grounded in their desire to engage and contribute in practical ways. My goal is for you to walk away from each episode with confidence and conviction, sharing your authentic self with the world, as well as a deepening understanding of your potential to impact the world in a way that makes sense to you. I'm honored to have this privilege. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day and your journey. Hello, and welcome to the Why the World Needs You podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Fritz, and today I have Diana Boskma here with me. Diana is your one-stop shop for making healthy babies. Diana is a health coach, childbirth educator, doula, and breastfeeding educator. Diana, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for asking me. It's really a pleasure to be here. So I'm excited to chat today. Uh, we connected in, a, in an awesome community online, and I just love what you do. You know, my my wife and I are at a place where babies are just starting to be a part of the conversation, and I'm so so interested in natural childbirth and just being, you know, like you said making healthy babies. That's truly something that I'm interested in. And I think the, you know, the work that you do sounds amazing. So I'm so, so interested to hear a little bit more about that and, and your story. So why don't we start there? Why don't you um, just kind of tell us how you got to doing what you do and, and what your background is kind of. Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a longer story, but I'm trying, going to try to keep it short. Um when I had my first child, I wanted to know how that would all work. So I started reading up on things. Then I learned quite a few things. Um, my my um, paternal grandmother was the lay midwife of the village. So that was interesting to talk a bit with her. But she was quite elderly already at the time. So not that great of a resource. But I certainly learned from her that babies born at home, that's a good thing. Nothing wrong with it. She had twins at home and it all went smooth because my dad was one of those twins. So it was, must have gone smooth. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I just kept on reading later on. Then um, some years later, I ended up more in a, a natural community of childbirth. I became a LH league leader at some point as well. So it's all been a process over a good 25 years now because my eldest is 25 years and just lots of learning. And from my, my home and my mother was quite heavily into healthy nutrition. The only thing was that at some point I started to wonder because what she was talking about was not all that science-based I found, it, found out at some point. So then I had to dig into that as well. So that's why it all slowly but carefully came together that way. Thank you. Yeah, it's. I think it's so interesting just how how we find our, our passions or the things that we really enjoy and are good at. So do you know that being in the world of, of childbirth was 
like what you wanted to do for a long time? No, not when I was a teenager or anything. I didn't want to have children, to be fair. <laughs> that was not on my agenda at that time. I just had, I found children difficult and babies just too much work. So I, I didn't see myself become a parent ever. Okay. And I have four. <laughs> um, it, it's something that grew on me. Um, I did like um, natural healing methods when I was a teenager. So I read books on that. And then later on, I did some courses on herbalism and aromatherapy and things like that. So I have some qualifications in that. And I did that in my early 20s before I had children. So it slowly grew on to me all that. All that. And it, it mostly started growing on me when I realized that a lot of people know very little before they have a baby. And how people are just looking for information. And then I think, I can do that. I know quite a bit by now, so I can do that. Did you, in terms of, like you said, you were interested in kind of like, just like natural health when you were younger is is that something that was passed down to your mom or how did you from your um, mom or is that something that you just kind of uh, like found out in, in other ways that's um, that's a bit of family thing as well my my aunt was quite heavily into it so every time she would visit we would talk about it and that just became really cool um that kind of rubbed off on my my aunt my mother and her other sister so it, it was a thing that my grandmother was even a bit into that, just not as much as my aunt was. So it was, it was just really interesting to have these talks when they would visit. And frequently both my aunts would visit at the same time. So then it just became a topic. And that's how that yeah grew on me, <laughs> as many things do. Um, you know, I, I started out working as a secretary. So that's a completely different type of work. But mm-hmm. it was, it, I like this much, much more. But it, it took me quite some years to get to this point of, I'm, I'm, you know, the learning that I wanted to do before I would go out there in public and say yes i know how to do this Mm -hmm. you need to have a bit of knowledge before you start telling people what to do right (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm curious do you know is it like in terms of healthcare and stuff is it similar to what it is here in the states um from the countries that i have lived in it's all different um in the u.s it's all private so everything is very medicalized Here in the UK, we have the National Health Service. That means that you have a basic package available to everyone that does not include any um, any things like herbalism or so. In Switzerland, it's kind of the middle between it. So you pay quite a steep fee for your health insurance, but it's for everyone. And it includes um, things like herbalism, chiropractor, um, anthroposophical GP, all those kind of things. So that includes a whole lot more. In Holland, it's more like the UK, but you pay for your health insurance. So here in the UK, you pay it with your taxes. So you, you add a bit of money and then when you need a doctor, you know, lose a bit of money, sorry. When you need a doctor, you can go to the GP or to the hospital and that's it. For some medication, you need to, to add some, um, you know, a, a bit of a fee, but that's at the moment, I think eight pounds per prescription. So that's, it's, it's much easier to deal with. So it's, it's a very different system than in the US. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And then what about in terms of um, like natural or or like alternative ways of birthing? Like, so I know here it's, it's very much as soon as you throw like alternative or natural or the word like herbalism, like all those things are very much not how things run here, Mm -hmm. at least the kind of standard or, or, the way that people are, are used to it happening. So is that similar there or is it a little bit more like, um, well, like respected or known? 
Um, that depends a bit. Um, home births are accepted. There are uh, community midwives. They um, Here locally we have a home birth team and that's all within the National Health Service. There are also independent midwives. They generally just only do home births. Um, so that makes it here in the UK more accessible to have a home birth because from the National Health Service that is supported. Herbalism and all these things, no. That's It's, it's just pharmaceutical medication that is used and um, in hospitals, a lot of inductions and augmentations and everything are used. That's not that easily possible at home. So you re- you save many times. Mothers are saved from those things because people just need to be more patient when you give birth at home. They just can't rush through. <laughs> yeah. So in Holland, home births have always been much more normal. So that's why I grew up with that idea that that was normal. And um, in Switzerland, I think from the people that I knew, it was mostly hospital birth. I didn't even hear, hear about a home birth there. Mm. So that's pretty much hospital as well. Here in the UK, it's quite quite frequently people do go to the hospital. It's just, okay. it's acceptable to stay home. Okay. And and then in terms, like you said, in terms of the, it is mostly like once you go to the hospital, it's pharmaceutical based. Yes, I've I've seen that with clients that um, you right away get the belt to check whether the contractions are doing well. And when they think it's not doing great, you right away get augmented so to, to improve your contractions. And then you, you are on the roller coaster and it's very hard to not go to the end. For, for a lot of people, it ends up with a vacuum extraction or a C-section or things like that. It's possible to have a, a nice birth in a hospital, but you need to really stand your ground. That's not for everyone possible. <clears throat> yeah so be, sorry so no go ahead if you want what, what i also see happening frequently is that people tell a woman who's pregnant that she doesn't need to be strong or anything like that she can just have the epidural mm. but the epidural has an effect on mother and baby and it's a long-term effect so do you really want to when you look into it most people don't actually know yeah so i guess i, I mean i've so, so many questions around this kind of stuff, but I guess my first question, right as you said that, would be kind of like, do you think that women know all of their options or are they kind of just sold a, this is like, if you're in pain, epidural, or like, how does that look? Like, are they given this is kind of all the possible things that you could experience or go through or or need. I have not often seen that there are lots of options given. Frequently it's, um, we do this, we do the epidural for pain. Instead of, there are relaxing techniques. There are all kinds of ways to make it much easier. It's, there's, there's hypnobirthing. Hypnobirthing makes it so much easier. A lot of women who do hypnobirthing don't need anything. You know, they can just relax. I didn't use any medication. I just relaxed at home. I'd done yoga. So I knew how to relax. It was just how it worked. It wasn't all that hard. Once you know how to relax, it gets difficult when you fight it. It's not supposed to hurt like hell. It's the stress that causes that because that's a hormonal thing. The moment the stress hormones go up, your body starts resisting. That makes it painful, but it's not supposed to hurt like that. There are people who have orgasmic births. That's supposed to be much... You know, I think that's that's a good plan to go to have that as a goal to just try getting there. Right? <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I know, I know it's not for me. everyone. I know it's not going to work for everyone, but that's okay. It doesn't matter. But it's not supposed to be excruciating, as many people um, experience it these days. And one of the things that I think is that 
when you know who's with you at your birth and you trust that person, the midwife that you have, you feel relaxed with her. When you're at home, you feel relaxed most of the time. Not everybody. There are people who think different. When you go to hospital, you do not know which staff is going to be at your bed because it's just whoever is on duty. So when you don't know when your labor starts, unless you have it all planned out and you have a planned C-section with whichever doctor you want, then you know who's at your bed. Other than that, you don't. It's all strangers. That means that you can't really relax because are you really going to relax there half naked with your legs spread? Mm, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. So then the stress hormones pop up and that's not really good for birth. You, what, what I find really fascinating is that vets know that because with vets, they even tell people to get out of the room when their cat or dog is having kittens or puppies because the stress hormones and that is not good for birth. It stops the process. You see with um, um, African um, herbivores that when there are lions in the area or hyenas or whatever, labor stops until they're in a safe place. Mm. It's how it works. So it's no miracle that for women, labor is slowing down the moment they enter the hospital. It happens very often. There's lots of research on that. So, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, no, that, it definitely makes sense. And really, like, yeah, what I'm hearing from you is the the key component is relaxation. And be comfortable with where you are. For some women, it really is the best place to go to the hospital because they need that. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. They feel safer in a hospital than at home. That's good because then they would have a stalled birth at home. So then go to the hospital. But for many, it's when you start thinking about it and you want to have this good birth just choose the place where you feel most comfortable. So as we're talking about this, I think, you know, for a lot of women, I'm sure their response would be like, are you kidding me? It's obviously going to hurt. So what, what are your thoughts around that? Because to me, I, you know, I've, I've always seen, I've always been drawn to natural health Mm-hmm. practices and modalities because to me I'm like our bodies are incredible we've adapted to you know we're animals we, we've adapted yeah. to do all these we're things mammals. naturally if you're in the wild you don't have you don't have a hospital yeah. um so to me and maybe you know for for some people that's a naive way of thinking about it but to me i've always come back to what were our bodies naturally born or meant or made, excuse me, to do. Mm -hmm. So how does that relate to childbirth and pregnancy? We've been doing it for a very long time. Otherwise we wouldn't be there anymore. Mm -hmm. We evolved to do this. Hospitals, how long have they been on the radar for births? Not that long. I think about a a good hundred years or so. So before that, it was all home. Where I'm from in the Netherlands, until the 1960s, it was pretty common to just have a baby at home unless something went wrong. So my parents were born at home. My grandparents were born at home. My brother was born at home. My kids were born at home. It's just it's how we do it. So as long as there's no reason to go to hospital when you're healthy, I think a hospital for ill people, not for healthy people, and a pregnancy is not an illness in my view. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in a lot of areas in the world, there's nobody able to go to a hospital. So what I also think is that there's a lack of patience with the birthing process because for every woman, it's different. So you can't really put the standards on as in this is allowed to take so many hours. That's allowed to take so many hours because not everybody will do it. 
I'm much faster than that, but I also know of people who are much slower than that. See, I'm a speed birther, so yeah. For me, it's not even safe to so go to good, a hospital. Good for you, huh? <laughs> it would be a car birth. So for me, that's good. But for others, it's not. And then when they say this has to be done within so many hours, that's putting the clock, that's putting stress on people. Yeah. You need to relax. It's about relaxing. We're, all, we're just mammals. That's all we are. We're not anything different than what a cow is or what a dog or a kitten, a cat is. So when you know how dogs and cats do the birthing process, that's kind of how we need to do it as well. Know, go to a cozy place have a good time and relax because that's what they're literally doing they're laying around relaxing mm. yeah that's yeah. that's so interesting to me and so i guess kind of as i'm thinking through this process and what we're talking about i i can almost like sense there being fear from a woman's end of, well, I just want to make sure that I have everything at my disposal. I just want to make sure that I'm totally taken care of. I just want to make sure that I have access to an epidural if I'm in excruciating pain. And so for me, that just, I like feel this energy of fear and tension. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you think contributes to kind of yeah. the, that picture? Majorly. There's actually a, um, a doctor from the UK who did a lot of thinking and looking into that he wrote a whole book it's a massive book it's childbirth without fear he's he's described how these fear hormones how that makes birth difficult because he went to birth at some point and the um the woman was totally relaxed because her idea was that it wasn't going to hurt so he was surprised that she was so calm and he, then she said but it's not supposed to hurt is it and that made him think that started ticking and that's what the book starts with with that story that just you know, sparked his mind into really wanting to know more about it. And he's, he's, he's yeah, it's it's quite a big book. I've read it. It's fun. Absolutely fascinating. And it also, it, it's what I read after I had my babies, but it also has contributed to me wanting to do this because as a doula, you help a woman very well out with helping, all, you know, with massage, with talking in getting music, these kind of things, just helping all kinds of te techniques are possible. So, yeah. an awful lot. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to mention something here that's going to give I'm going to take some flack for I know okay. I'm going to get some <laughs> some upset women here um but as we're talking about fear as we're talking about patience I think the one thing that sticks out to me is as humans and and I can especially speak for here in the states at, at least we want a quick easy solution all the time and or that's kind of the general mindset of like, I want this to be quick. I want this to be easy. I want this to be painless. And so the easiest way is give me an epidural, get the baby out and we're good to go. But yeah. so to me, like I, again, and I can understand from the woman's point of view, but I think a lot of that comes from if you're only being, told half the story or if you're only being told that this is kind of the route to go whereas yeah. you know what you're saying is there is a way to do this naturally and still yeah. be relaxed and still be you know yeah. relatively stress-free obviously that's part of the the equation but mm -hmm. um what are your thoughts on the kind of like the the mindset around we want everything quick and easy these days Life doesn't work that way. There's very little quick and easy in life. So 
I think it's best to make sure you've read up on everything. Um, one of the things that is, is research that's only been going on for the last 10, 15 years is about the microbiome. And the epidural has an impact on that. The C-section does. Just being in the hospital does. So a baby born in the hospital has a different microbiome than a baby born at home because at home you have the set of bacteria that's normal there. In a hospital, you have quite some pathetic... pathetic. <laughs> Bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, what the main thing with that is that when you have a baby that gets colonized with these bad bacteria that has a long-term health impact and that's only a, a new thing so you'd need to know all these things and i know that it's hard to figure it all out because when you read books there's usually the writer has a certain idea of what they want your midwife or your consultant they all have their own ideas on it so it's not always easy but one of the things that i think is really good for women to do is hire a doula because a doula is looking more at a natural way of birthing in general and that will help getting to, more into these relaxation techniques, be it massage, be it music, be it listening to whatever you want. It's really what makes you relaxed. There's so much possible. So, and that all what, helps. Yeah. What do you think is a way that women could learn more or we as a society could help give women more options or more resources. To me, it comes down to being empowered to make an informed decision. And that's yeah. something that I appreciate in all walks of life. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so what do you think it would take or what do you think potentially needs to change? Obviously, people like you are, are one of the things that we need, right? Yeah. But on a, on a broader scale, or if you have any different ideas, what do you think that looks like? That's not easy because it depends a bit on how things in the health system are set up and it gets more and more medicalized also in developing countries. Um, <clears throat> there are some countries where they almost exclusively do C-sections now in certain areas. Mm. You know, I've, I've got friends that have lived in all kinds of areas, but I know that in South America, it's almost the first thing that's suggested and not always because it's necessary. It's just because that's quick. Okay. I yeah, was going to ask what the reasoning is. This is where part of my ignorance comes out. But well, <laughs> like, another reason is that there are doctors who say that then um, everything stays nice and tight for your husband. And then I think, uh, whoa. <laughs> which I assume. Motivation. Yeah. I was going to say, which I assume is like very, well, I guess, and it depends on where you're at in the world, but mm -hmm. you know, like that for, for a male could could be very appealing, but even for a female, again, in the States, like if we have so much stigma around our, you know, looks and our bodies, I'm sure yeah. for a woman, she might, knowing that she could potentially keep things tight and tidy. It's not changing all that much. So, but yeah, I don't know. So there's also the, the daddy stitch as they call it, where when you have a tear, they make it a bit more tight. That frequently actually causes women to have a lot of pain after birth. So it's just, all I don't know. It's quite sexist in my mind, those kind of things. I really don't like that. Though. Yeah. yeah. So I want to kind of connect two of the topics we're talking about and so we're, we're kind of talking a little bit about c-sections and then mm -hmm. we talked about you're just talking about the microbiome and mm -hmm. i know 
um, both from you and my own research that um, that has a large impact on each other. So talk a little bit about that and, and how that plays a part. Okay. A C-section means that the baby does not go through the vagina. In the vagina, the baby gets seeded with the microbiome of the mother, which is what is supposed to happen. Then when it comes out, it actually gets in contact with the gut bacteria of the mother as well, which both you don't get in contact with um, with the C-section. There are some hospitals where they use a, a sterile gauze and put that in the vagina of the mother and then afterwards swap the baby with on the face and in the mouth and all over the body. So then they do some seeding, but that's not as well as a vaginal birth. What you don't have is that in the hospital you have the bad bacteria. <laughs> that word is never a good one. <laughs> So the bad bacteria that they also get. Um, and what the other thing is, is with the C-sections that you get antibiotics because that's necessary because you could get an infection. So you get um, prophylactic antibiotics. And that all has an impact on the gut bacteria. And if the baby is then uh, breastfed, that will um, make it a lot better again. But it won't do everything. It can't completely fix it. If the baby is formula fed, the microbiome gets even more damaged. So it's quite a, a picture. There's so much that can happen. And it actually starts so long ago already because um, when, when I look at my own family, I know my mother had some medication, antibiotics and stuff like that before she got pregnant with me. So that damaged her microbiome. Then I got born. Then I got antibiotics throughout my life. So that damaged it even more. And then I had my daughter. And, you know, it's every time a step, further away when you, when you look at the microbiome of, of people in south america that have hardly had any contact with western people that's so much more diverse than our western people they did some research and they compared people from south america with people from africa that have had plenty of contact to western people it was unbelievable how how much loss of diversity there was and that diversity is really good for your health yeah so i guess you know, my question then is there is so much, I think we're just kind of really touched, like we're at the tip of the iceberg with mm -hmm. how much the microbiome matters and how much it yeah. affects health, but we're there, right? Like there is research on that. Yeah. Like we know how much that matters. So my question yeah. then is why hasn't the, the hospitals and the kind of the, the bigger conventional medicine systems, why aren't they taking this more seriously in terms of the effect that C-sections and all these other things that you're mentioning, yeah. um, formula compared to breastfeeding, all these things, why aren't, why isn't there being a bigger case made for the importance of keeping the my microbiome intact? One big thing is they don't know because I've, I've done, I've, finished um four certifications on that kind of stuff in april so only recently much of that research is from last year and the year before that's not stuff mm. that's out there in the public that much yet that's also not taught in medical school yet it's just not there yet it's totally fascinating and there are some scientists who are really working on it and they're really trying to get it more out in the public but it's not something that's going to happen quick because these kind of things take time. There's, there's on many of the topics also a lot more research needed because what, do, what we know is that the microbiome changes, but 
exactly what effects that has and which bacteria has what effect and how that all goes. Nobody knows that. There's so much still unknown and there's not much use in telling all the public and everything and changing hospital policies when they don't really know what the alternative has to be. They need to have a solution to it and they don't really do that yet. I know that, you know, the home birth and the breastfeeding and that all doesn't cause those changes, but some women will need a C-section. What are you going to do then? For some, it's really hard to do the seeding because they're GBS positive. You can't mm. do it then. What are you going to do then? You know, it's, um, I think a lot of, for a lot of people, probiotics will be a helpful thing and prebiotics, but that's not really something that's easily implemented in a hospital. That's also a long-term thing. So when you, when you have a baby that has been born already to a mother with, you know, lower diversity and then in a hospital, then the best course of action to, you know, make it a bit better is to just use some, some uh, probiotics for infants. And you can mix that with breast milk and all these kind of things. So it, it can work. It's not ideal, but, you know, it's better than nothing. So... Along those lines, probiotics and microbiome, we had recently talked about the, and you've mentioned this too, and kind of, you know, it's encapsulated in how you help women um, and expecting mothers is that really making a healthy baby starts before the birthing process. So explain a little bit of that to us. Ideally, someone who wants to have a child starts to look into their own microbiome a year or two before and fixes as much as they can before they even conceive. And then also make sure that they get a nutrient-dense diet because you want to make sure you have everything available. Because as um, during pregnancy, nutrition is important. And during pregnancy, you also have that the... Um, the placenta is not keeping all microbes away. So they used to think that breast milk and that the amniotic fluid was sterile. It's actually not. That doesn't mean there's lots in it. There's very little in it. But they do find in the meconium of a baby a little bit of these microbes. And that's, it's, it's important. Otherwise, it wouldn't happen. <clears throat> so it's, it's, a, it's really a, a long list of things to create the ideal situation. And that means, yeah, fix your own microbiome as well as you can. Make sure you fix your diet as well as you can. Then make sure your diet stays well during pregnancy. And then try to go for the most natural options that you have in birthing. And hopefully a completely unmedicated one. That would be ideal. And then breastfeed for at least six months exclusive. And then slowly add some solids. And then slowly, slowly, slowly. Um, two questions I have there is... Is that equally important for male and female? Yes, because you do want, as a man, to have the best sperm cells you can create. Mm -hmm. So nutrition is really important. But what also happens is that between the man and the woman, the microbiome gets mixed. You know, you have sex, so (laughs) there's no way in avoiding that. (laughs) Yep. So that microbiome of both is important. And because that gets gets mixed, it's, it's not majorly mixed. But if you have a little bit of a difference, it gets mixed. And then you create actually a better microbiome. So if you both improve your microbiome, that's just going to benefit everyone in the long run. And that's mm-hmm. going to improve your health, which means you can bounce around with your baby a bit more. <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it, it, it totally makes sense. Um, the other question I had then was you mentioned nutrient dense. Yes. And so I want to hear what that means to you, as I know that this is a, a really major part of your background and something that, yeah. um, you know, like you said earlier, you've done a lot of your own research on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so explain to us what nutrient dent look, dense looks like in these terms. That is food that's very um, has a, has a very good amount of vitamins, minerals, enzymes, and those kind of things. I personally do not think that a fully plant-based diet can do that because vitamin A and beta carotene are not the same. Vitamin D2 and vitamin D3 are not the same. And vitamin K1 and K2 are not the same. And as humans, not everyone can convert them. Um, I know quite a few people who have um, gene mutations, which means that you cannot convert them then. And you won't know that unless you have that tested, so I wouldn't risk it. You can get foods that are um, in line with what's good for nature, so you don't need to you know, I, I get from a local farm meat and milk and they treat their animals really well. That's grass fed and everything. Grass fed animals are healthy. Grain fed animals are not. So if you want to do it for animal well-being, I totally get that. I do the same. But I get it from a local farm that really gets, you know, that treats them really well. And even the calves are live fed by the cows at the farm where I mm-hmm. go to. Also the milk cows. So, yeah, you don't have to ruin your own health for the globe i don't even think that the environment is all that well benefiting from plant-based because it's not easy to grow plants and they do require quite some pesticides from many you you'd have to go really organic and then when you do organic be it animal foods or plant foods i think it's not making that much of a difference then for the environment so yeah i try to yeah for us it's organic grass-fed foods that we use and from both because humans are omnivores so we need all the nutrients yeah so it's uh so it's well raised meats and then you still like still fruit and veggie yeah all of it yep for some people it's it's better to be on a higher animal foods diet for others it's better on a higher plant foods diet it's you need to tweak it to what you need because nutrition depends a bit on your background as well when you are from um a caucasian coastal area background as i am then fish is really important because mm-hmm. in holland that's that's quite a food and people who then end up eating a more animal um, a more land animal and plant-based diet they tend to have a little bit more difficulty and tend to lean a bit more towards depression because they're missing these fish foods it's quite fascinating how how when you look at your background when it's a complete mix of everything then eat a complete mix of everything but yeah my background is really coastal area so I make sure I keep an eye on that. And then in terms of, so we, this is, you know, we're talking about food, talking about how you nourish your body. Mm-hmm. What's your, your thought and your take on supplements? They can be very useful. It really depends. Um, I know some people who struggle with keeping their vitamin D levels up because no matter how much they're outside, they just don't do it. That could be a microbiome issue. And then it can be helpful to use a vitamin D supplement. Um, there are quite a couple of really good brands out there. So you just need to do that whether you, you know, it depends on whether you need it. So that's again, a personal thing, whether your body is doing everything the right way or whether you need some help. 
So that's so we've kind of talked our way through pre-pregnancy. We kind of we kind of went all over the place. We started yeah. a little bit more with with the actual birthing process, and then we kind of made our way to pre-pregnancy. And then, uh, what you know, what does it look like post-pregnancy? Then I know you mentioned um, breastfeeding for six months, but what else is there um, in in terms of post? Well, um, making sure you take care of yourself. Um, eating a good diet because when you eat a healthy nutrient dense diet you will have good milk for your baby because you do want to make sure they get the best food they can so you know make it the organic nutrient dense one (laughs) yep and um, then when you start introducing solids take that slow one food at a time checking whether your baby reacts to it and again make sure that it's clean and i i do think that um because when I, when my, my eldest was born, they started with fruit first. And right now I was thinking, why did they do that? Because that's not really such an ideal food. I think vegetables have more nutrients in there and things like egg yolks as well. They have much more nutrients in there than a bit of fruit does. Not that fruit's a bad thing, but it's not something that, based on what I've been reading since, and actually the recommendations have changed as well since then, so I wouldn't do that anymore, not at all. But yeah, it, it depends a bit on, on what, what the newest research is, what they recommend. So yeah, I've, I've, with my youngest what I, youngest two, I've simply done it that way, that whatever we were eating, they could grab from our plates and eat the same. But you can do that once they are sitting and can do that when they can grab something with their fingers and stick it in their mouth. Mm-hmm. So that's not something you're going to spoon feed to them. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And then boiled carrot sticks. Are yeah. Something they love. <laughs> yep. Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of breastfeeding, I know that this is often a, uh, a decision for, for women. And, you know, again, like I'll, I'll plead mostly ignorance here just because it's not something I've experienced directly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that there's some of what I've heard is that, they can't do it for, for whatever reason, like the baby won't latch on or, or it's not easy. Again, I I don't know what I'm talking about here. So tell me, (laughs) tell me what are the things if, if women are having troubles breastfeeding, what, what do you normally see or run into? And then what are your suggestions? Um, It's a bit of a learning curve because when you've never done it and you've never seen it, it's going to be something very, very new. And that's what the first couple of days are for anyway. Um, it depends a bit on which country you live in as well, because there are countries where you get, like in Holland, you get something like a doula, something maternity nurse doula type of person. They come to your house seven days a week and, or seven days in the first week uh, for a couple of hours here and there. They help you with all kinds of things, including breastfeeding. So that helps with people being able to. When you end up in a country where you don't have any support afterwards, it's going to be much harder. So you, you're going to need support. There are lactation consultants out there. There are voluntary organizations that help women. So with those, when you, when you know which place to go, when you have a number that you can phone and you have everything available, that you know that someone will help you, it's much easier to stick with it. When you, you also need a supportive partner because when you have a partner who has this thing, well, the bottle's just fine, it's not going to be easy to do that. When you, mm-hmm. you really need someone who will be there for you, who will bring you your food and your drink when you're struggling to get it done. Someone who makes sure that you are also taken care of, not mm-hmm. just the baby. So. It's, it's, I can understand that it's going to be hard because to be fair with my first one, it was hard. I didn't know everything. I ended up making mistakes 
It wasn't easy, but I managed. So it's a matter of a bit of perseverance and support. The moment you get help with people who have a bit more knowledge than you do, because there can be things like a tongue tie. When there's a tongue tie, it's going to hurt, but that tongue tie can be snipped and then it won't hurt anymore. That can be thrush. That can be taken care of with medication. Then it won't hurt anymore. Then there's the latch. It has to be done the right way or it will hurt. So you need to make sure that these things are done well. Um, one of the organizations that I like is Lalech League. It's an international organization. And they have women come to their groups from before already. Because some organizations are only doing before birth and others do it after birth. And um, some do both. Lalech League does both. So you can join a group where you can talk and then you see women who are pregnant and women who are feeding a baby and some women who are feeding you know an older baby and then it's it's you know having that support seeing that it's okay seeing that it's normal that will help get your mind at ease with the whole thing because we've never seen it because we do live in a world where it's not all that often seen most people have you know two children and then they have them very short in a row so their siblings will never have seen it i have large age gaps which means that my old, older kids have seen it, so they know mm -hmm. it's normal, and that does help. Yeah, yeah, so to me, that, yeah, you said support a handful of times, and that just yeah. seems like the, the really big factor afterwards yeah. for for the mother, for the child. Yeah. Like you said, I, I can only imagine how important it is to have a supportive partner, mm -hmm. but then to make sure that they also have a professional you know, somebody like you that they can call yeah. and talk to yeah. in those moments of frustration or mm -hmm. fear or just like pure, yeah. pure breakdown moments where they can, yeah. they can lean on somebody and um, have, you know, have a little bit of support there. Yeah, I've, I've done those calls. Um, one, one of those calls still quite, it's still vivid in my mind. That was a pediatrician, a female who had given birth about two nights before. And then she phoned me at three in the morning. And I woke up and answered and she was just crying. She just needed someone to support her a bit and she didn't want to wake up her husband. And then I thought, wow, that's someone who actually knows quite a lot because she knew everything. She really didn't need me because she had really read up on it. Mm -hmm. She just needed someone to listen, tell her that she could do it. It worked. So, yeah, and then she phoned a couple of days later, sorry, I woke you up. And I said, <laughs> no problem at all. <laughs> and that was when I was, was doing it for a voluntary organization. So it was... Yeah, but it was all right. It was fine. She made it. <laughs> yeah. So for you, what are just kind of like zooming out a little bit here? Mm -hmm. What are the things that you're really passionate about? And in terms of what you do and women's health and just a message that you would want to give women around all of this around childbirth, you know, like we've, we've talked through a couple of different yeah. phases of it. It's obviously a very large and, and an yeah. extremely meaningful life-changing topic. So what, what are you, what's the message that you really want to get out to women or, or have them know? Um, I think for women, it's important that they get as much information as possible about their options and get a supportive network, make sure their partner is on board, whatever type of partner it is, that's fine. But yeah, that they that they create the environment they need, because then you can do it. If you don't have any support, it's going to be really hard. Yeah, I'd... whatever choices you make, that is, it doesn't matter because in the end, it's going to be her choice because mom needs to do what she wants to do. Yeah, it's nobody else's choice. 
Yep. Definitely, yeah. definitely makes sense. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. My wife will be happy to hear that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, she's got to do it. So you just have to support. That's all you can do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that though. I think truly, it's really, again, the word empowerment is what comes to mind for mm-hmm. me is it's really about making an empowered decision. And the only way that you can do that as, as a couple, but specifically as a female, as a mother, mm-hmm. the only way you can do that is by having information and understanding all your options. So I, I totally see how that's important. Yeah. What, what I, what I like to explain to women is how it naturally works with animals and then take the information from there. When you know what basically the norm is, then you can make choices based on the information you get additionally. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for sharing everything. I got um, a couple, couple final questions here for you. Okay. <laughs> the, the first one is what are, so if there's an expecting mother or a mother that's starting to, you know, plan childhood for the next couple of years, what are like the one or two really, really crucial pieces of information that you would give them to tackle first in order to have a successful process? Stop worrying and stressing. Just relax. That's the main thing because once you have a child, you're going to have to relax. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing will stay the same. (laughs) So relax. Um, Yeah, do the best you can. You know, there's nothing. Perfection isn't possible. So just do what you can. Mm -hmm. Relax and do Mm -hmm. what you can. I love that. I love that. I, I'm sure there's so much pressure. Women feel so much pressure to do things the quote unquote right or perfect way. And that's an Isn't incredible it? amount of stress right there. Yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah. Mm, I like that. Good is good enough. So good. So I've got to, to finish off um, a couple questions that I came up with. It's called the, the visionary hat trick. Okay. So it's, Three questions at the end here. I truly believe that we're all visionaries in our own way. And, you know, it's clear that you've kind of embraced your your place in life and, and your mission. And that's incredible. So these are just kind of quick questions to answer. Um, more like big picture type questions. Mm-hmm. So if you're ready. We'll, okay, go for it. We'll go. <laughs> okay. So the first one is, what's a belief that you have that, others might think is kind of crazy or that you worry about being judged for? I think that every woman can have a natural birth and breastfeed with the right support. And I know lots of people don't agree with that. That's okay. They don't have to. (laughs) Nope. Nope. (laughs) Thank you. No, I love that. Um, Number two then is for you in your personal vision and mission, as you continue to really live that, what does that look like? What is the the impact that it will have? I think when more women end up with a natural birth and breastfeeding, we will have a much healthier population. And that's my goal, healthy children. No. And the next generation healthier than the previous one mm-hmm. and having a longer lifespan than the previous one because we're going down in lifespan not good yeah 
I can definitely understand that. <laughs> um, the the final one, which might tie into that a little bit, is we're like zooming all the way out here, mm-hmm. thinking really big picture. What is your hope for humanity? That people learn a lot more about the importance of the microbiome and do things more natural so that we will have a healthier next generation. So, yeah, it's pretty much the same thing there, as the one there before. There we go. <laughs> yep, they, they all built on each other, but, you yeah. know, that's kind of that's kind of it, really, um, yeah. is, you know, we're talking really about what you've learned and what you've incorporated into your life mm-hmm. and your expertise and how you help people and and really – so many times the the big picture is is really just a zoomed out version of that and that's truly it your you know mm-hmm. your goal is to create healthier babies and healthier yep. people yep healthier generations yeah <laughs> it's a i love it kind of a steep one but hey <laughs> gotta start, gotta start that's somewhere. that's right <laughs> baby steps no pun intended yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well that's how it works it's how you build a business it's how everything in life works uh-huh one one foot in front of the other right one step at a time and that's you know that's why that's kind of where the podcast came from was really and just think people like you are just doing such amazing work and the more we can continue to you know build knowledge around these things and share Mm -hmm. this with people the the more people it will impact and it's all a ripple effect so we're all just doing Mm -hmm. our part in in trying to um, build a, a better a better human race really yeah. yeah a lot of people do a lot of good stuff it's good i like that so dana this has been so much fun any any last words for the listeners not really basically something like contact me if you want to know more <laughs> yeah that's what I, and i was just gonna say all your information has been great i've I've asked Diana a couple of questions of my own. Uh, she's really amazing. So, so please, please contact her if this is something you want to learn more about. Diana, I'll put all the links in the show notes below, but where can all the people find you? Um, my website is connecting life, connecting-life.net. Um, I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram and I'm on Twitter, and I'm even on TikTok these days. So oh, wow, look every- at that. Oh, YouTube? <laughs> yeah, I TikTok is a bit of a, just fun and games for me, so I can be sounding a bit sassy and snarky there, but that's okay. For some people, that is just fun. For me, that's just really my, my fun and not-so-serious <laughs> place to just be me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, I'll have all that below, so you okay, guys great. go check her out there, ask her questions, and start making healthy babies. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Diana, thanks so much for being on. It's really been a pleasure talking to you and I look forward to talking to you in the future. Okay. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Hey, yo. Thanks so much for listening. I truly hope you enjoyed today's episode. Just a reminder that all the relevant links can be found in the show notes below, as well as that of our free Facebook community where all the cool kids are at, just being ourselves, sharing our gifts, and supporting the hell out of one another. So come on in, introduce yourself, and join the party. See you in there.